0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. When Kevin was a kid, he sat on Santa's lap, and Santa cried out loud. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining and uh, joy-filled uh, Pipes Magazine radio show. And I am your host, Brian Levine. It's the week before Christmas. What do we got? Six days left? Yeah. Uh, so, officially, once this day is done, you have uh, five full shopping days left. Alright. Uh, in tonight's show, my co-host, back from... Again, is Shane Ireland, and Shane and I are going to talk about uh, Shane's view on uh, cellaring of tobaccos, and we'll catch up with him. Uh, then we'll have some uh, an abbreviated mailbag, and uh, well, we'll have music first for the holidays, and then an abbreviated mailbag, all that because uh, well, my schedule's getting kind of crazy, but I'll uh, talk to you about that in the mailbag, I promise, and a uh, rant. All that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Uh, so I hope everybody is having a uh, a wonderful holiday season, and uh, please don't tell me what's happened with Star Wars Episode Eight. I have not seen it yet. I am hoping to see it uh, tomorrow in the middle of the day, maybe before all the kids get out of school and everything and uh you know what i may do one of those uh old high school things and if i really like it just stay in the theater one more time uh ah, we'll we'll find out anyway i have uh, yet to see it so star wars quickly becoming a uh, christmas holiday tradition to uh see the new star wars film um kind of uh kind of ahead of, ahead of the game on all my uh Gift-giving and uh, purchasing, too, and uh, part of it comes from not working so and having some uh, more free time. However, we have been uh, busy with uh, family and friends and all that stuff. Uh, in fact, this past weekend, got to see Jody Davis. The uh, newsboys were in town, so I got to hang out with Jody for a little bit. That was a lot of fun. And uh, what else is going on? Um, oh, just a reminder, you have to be of legal smoking age wherever you are to listen to this show, so uh, sorry all you little elves and Santa's helpers if you're, uh, nope, you should turn it off if you're not old enough. Anyway, alright, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go.
1: Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas!
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine Radio Show, and uh, back with me is uh, Shane Ireland of SmokingPipes.com. Uh, Shane, so you you survived one full episode, and you decided to come back again and do it again.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm only haunted a little bit <laughs> by the uh, the first episode that we did. All
0: right, so and to kick it off, we'll start off with uh, two kind of standard questions that we're gonna that I'll ask you and I'm going to ask Tom the same ones every month. So uh yeah have you gotten anything anything new in your collection or tobacco wise in the last month?
2: Uh yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's almost <laughs> Christmas. It's almost Christmas. So, uh I have I have done as I as I do every year. I've done my Christmas shopping for myself first. Um I ended up with uh two new pipes. In the last uh, month, I guess, and uh, both of them made by former, so um, pipes Ooh. that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, I, I love his work, and he's one of the one of the Danish masters still living that, uh, in my opinion, or at least for me personally, still offers pipes that are uh, in a price range that I can that I can swing.
0: And, and does your wife know about them?
2: Uh, well, in the sense that there's another standard looking pipe laying around. Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: no, no, she does. She does. <laughs>
0: All right. Uh and the only thing, yeah, you know, I've been I've been busy traveling and had family over, but I I actually had a uh I ha- I have a couple of searches on eBay and there was a Sato pipe that came up and I just put a protective absurdly low bid on it and sure enough I won it. So <laughs>
2: Oh that's awesome. Yeah. I was dis- I was disappointed by eBay uh uh since we last talked I was trying to snag there was a uh a patent era like war era uh Dunhill with a horn stem and Ooh. um I've I've been trying to add that to my my collection of horn stem pipes for a long time but sadly I missed out on this one.
0: Yeah, I I, I was not expecting to get this one but uh All right, what are you what are you smoking tonight?
2: Um, right now, I am smoking. Let me see. What am I smoking? <laughs> I am I am smoking uh, actually Lane's Ready Rubbed, which uh, I think. Last week, we, uh, we at Smoking Pipes finally debuted the pouches. Uh, I had been wanting to try the blend again since they introduced it. Uh, I'm a big Edgeworth fan, and I still have a few old tins of Edgeworth. And uh, every now and then, I, I get on a burly kick for a little while. So that's what I'm smoking now, and it's really good. Um, I don't know if it's exactly the same as the Edgeworth of old, uh, but it's just a really comfortable, easy-smoking mixture.
0: You know, and, and it doesn't matter what it used to taste like. If you like it now... Go ahead and smoke it. And...
2: Oh, absolutely. I've had that. I've had that conversation with a lot of guys about like the old Dunhill blends coming back. I mean, so many of them I've never been able to try uh, the the original, you know, version, uh, much less something that was fresh. Because if you taste it when it's twenty years old, well, you have no idea what it was like right <laughs> off the shelf. But uh, I okay. think that they have done uh, they have done a good job recreating those blends so far, and, and I enjoy a lot of them. So that's all that matters.
0: And, uh, and in, in, honor of thinking about talking to you tonight, I pulled out one of my, uh, one of my favorite Danish pipes. Cause I, I know of your love of Dane Danish pipes, but this one's way too heavy for you. It, it actually, you know, weighs more than like a toothpick with a, with a big wad of paper on it.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely too heavy.
0: Yeah. But I, I have an older, uh, an older Peter Stokeby pipe that was, uh handmade by they were all handmade by Jorgen Larsen and this one's just got a beautifully little delicate kind of reverse triangled shank that's a little flat on the bottom and yeah and wider and flat on top and it's just a it's just a Dublin bowl that I mean I I started this bowl will last me 2 hours that's how oh, big wow. That's how big the bowl capacity is, but it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's not as heavy as one would think. And what's funny is with this pipe and I, I guess because of, you know, because of my relationship with Peter, um, I very rarely pull it out because I don't want to really damage it or lose it. Cause I got it while I was working for him. Oh, sure. Um, And I can't, you know, my eyes have gotten so bad that even with lights and magnifying glasses, I think this is an F grade. And if this is an F grade, I mean, I remember seeing some A grades, but this is an F grade and they got the, the lower the letter in the alphabet, the higher the grading. Yeah. Um, it's got some beautiful straight grain on it and bird's eye all around the top of the bowl and, uh, just, but again, it's more sentimental than anything, and uh, so I loaded it up with a uh, with a Virginia Perique blend that I'm familiar with, uh, and, be- <laughs> and because this has almost got like a one inch wide bowl d- diameter, it really needs a full bodied blend for me. Otherwise, it <laughs> just gets lost. And yeah, if I if I put a straight Virginia in there. Uh, oh, you're not
2: taking anything hardly
0: no uh uh-uh. uh no it's it's
2: remarca- it's remarkable how a lot of people think that uh you know a wider diameter will coax more flavor out of a blend. I find the opposite to be true often
0: yeah usually- usually for me, the wider it is the it mellows it or yeah, and and softens yeah, yeah. whatever it is, but you know, when you talk about cigars, the opposite is more true. The, the, the bigger the ring gauge, the more balance and flavor you get, but the less intense of a smoke. So, yeah, it, that's why, uh, <laughs> thankfully, that's why pipe smoking and cigar smoking are two completely different animals.
2: Oh sure, sure. I just find that like maybe the old adage about like English blends in in a in a pot, for example, like in a wide diameter chamber. I think maybe it's because those blends have a lot of flavor to begin with, um, and and yeah, I, I don't know too many people that take a uh, an inch or you know an inch and a quarter chamber and uh, fill it with Virginia Flake and get great results.
0: I, I'm I'm sure there's somebody out there. Um
2: yeah yeah sure.
0: <laughs> but anyway, that that's uh, so that's talking about tobacco. That's a perfect way. Why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce the topic for tonight and then we'll uh after you do that, we'll take a break.
2: Well, uh I, I was thinking that we could talk a little bit about cellaring tobacco. Um specifically uh you know, the way that I personally have come to think about my cellar and uh, maybe even some advice that I wish I had had more early on.
0: That sounds good. So, stay with us. We'll be back in uh, just a minute and then we'll talk about uh, Shane's cellar and if there's anything in it, we'll find out exactly if if there's anything in it that we want, we'll find out exactly where it is and we'll go raid his cellar. So, stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio.
2: Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Shane and I hanging out, smoking our pipes, and uh, we're gonna. So we're gonna talk about tobacco cellaring. Now, let me ask you the the dumb questions first. First, uh, the the cellar itself is not actually something that's subterranean, built underground. This is just a uh, a metaphor for your uh, your your supply of tobaccos that you're hoarding.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, my cellar is actually on the second floor of my house in a closet in assorted, uh, rubber-made plastic bins.
0: So you have upgraded versus mine, which most of mine, they are in um, uh, fine uh, corrugated former tree product boxes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I... I I don't know if it's just because we're here in the low country for those of, for those that know what that is, but, uh, I'm a little weary of, uh, moisture in the air and I feel like putting them in the Rubbermaid containers gives me like a little bit more of a barrier to the elements or whatever.
0: Now with the, with the moisture in the air, are you worried about the tins rusting or are you worried about, uh, parasites in the air getting on stuff?
2: No, I'm mostly worried about the tins rusting because the thing is rust can affect uh, your tins in a couple of different ways, in my experience. One is that if you would get, like, a lot of rust on the can, there can be pinholes, you know, on the bottom of your tin that you can't see, and you'll lose moisture that way, of course. The other thing is that some blends... That are I don't know maybe more heavily sauced or more heavily cased than others have a higher moisture content. I have found that occasionally, depending on the type of tin that it is, uh, it can compromise the seal. So if a little bit of rust happens underneath where the seal is, uh, you're going to lose you're going to lose moisture and therefore flavor and oils and all the good stuff yeah. uh, having having the seal be broken.
0: Yeah. And we, and we live in very, very similar types of areas, except your summer is a little longer. Uh, and and you've got a little more salt in the air than I do, but even inside the house during the summertime with the air conditioner running, uh, you're talking about a 50, 55% natural relative humidity in the house itself alone.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So if you're, yeah, so I guess if you take your Rubbermaid totes, then you're gonna then you can kind of moderate the moderator, add another barrier for all that moisture getting in there and or hammering it all summer long.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, even the upstairs of our house is climate controlled, but still, I you know, it's having a tobacco cellar is a big investment, and um, I I just prefer to be cautious wherever I can.
0: Now, how do you organize them inside the, inside the totes? Are you, are you separating Virginias from Virginia Periques or are you, are you trying to keep different styles in different totes?
2: Personally, I, I organize by tin shape and then by blend. So, you know, I've, I smoke a lot of Virginias and a lot of Virginia Periques, a lot of flakes. Um, so Pretty much, I would say half of my cellar are, uh, you know, Sam Gaywith style square tins uh, or, you know, smaller European uh, rectangular 50 gram tins. So I have some, some like long and flat uh, uh, Rubbermaid containers that I have all my flake tins in. And then I have some like taller. And less long uh, containers where I keep all of my like round European style tins, like you know uh, McBaron style hundred gram tins or uh, Orlick style tins, that kind of stuff.
0: So you're you're not so much worried about a uh, a flavor from one from one tin from one product going you know seeping over into the other one. You're you're no. more looking at uh, you're you're more looking at condensing down as tight as possible.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Condensing down as tight as possible. And also too, you know, I try to keep like all of my Scottish flake together and all of my Astley's 44 together just because it's easier that way to like kind of keep an eye on what you, what you have. Um, I do recommend some, you know, like the pipe tool or, uh, uh tobacco or whatever it is where you can kind of catalog your stuff. But I, I am not great about that. And I have twice now, cataloged my entire cellar, only to like lose the file without a backup and then just be like (laughs) i'm never doing this again so right now i don't have an exact count on what i have but i at least keep everything together so i can keep an eye and say okay you know i i need a few more tins of escudo or i need a few more tins of capstan or whatever
0: now with that with that software do you also have to go into it and every time you open a tin delete the tin out of it
2: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of those softwares that I've used, and I've used like two or three different ones, um, you can move a tin from uh, cellared to open and then from open to finished, Um, and that's the thing too, is I, I forget to do that or I buy a bunch of tobacco and I forget to put it back in, you know, my count. And then I don't, I don't know exactly when I added this or this. I mean, I try (laughs) to write, I try to write the date on the back of all the tobacco tins that aren't dated. Um, because if not, you just, you end up being like, well, I have no idea if this is five years or 10 years old.
0: Right. (laughs) You look at it and go, let's see what's on top of it.
2: Yeah, so, exactly. So that, that's
0: <laughs> got to be older than what was under than what's on than what it's on on or what's on top of it. So
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can get like this big range. Like, oh, it was either it was either two thousand seven or two thousand nine or two thousand ten or something. I don't know, but you know, there's all all of the tins that don't have dates on them. You can more or less guess a time period by the label, whether it had a warning label, who the distributor was at the time, things like that. But, uh, for the most part, it's better just to be diligent about dating your tins when you put them into your cellar, even if they may have been six months old at the time.
0: All right. Let, let me, let me jump off, uh, off of how you store them. So do you, you have an idea of a tobacco you want to try, you try it, you determine that you're going to stockpile some in your cellar, um, how do you go through the process of figuring out what you 're going to stockpile? How do you go through the process of figuring out how many you 're going to buy, and then how long do you wait for it before you go back to it? You know, well, how long do you age it
2: Sure, sure I mean that there's almost a different answer for every blend and almost for every question that you ask, depending on what the blend is even so let me let me start by saying this What I wish someone would have told me years ago is that it is better, and uh, I don't know, maybe maybe better is the wrong word because everybody has their own opinion and their own experience, but in my experience, I wish that I would have started earlier to sell her a handful of blends that I know I loved rather than trying to put away two or three or five tins of a hundred different blends that I liked.
0: Okay, why?
2: So Well, because I find that, first of all, I, I hit a certain point where my favorite, like, let's say your top five blends, right, like my top five Desert Island Smokes, I was putting away a, a couple of tins every every now and then. And then I hit a point recently where I realized, like, okay, uh, the packaging changed for one of my favorite tobaccos. Uh, it changed from a small square tin to a larger coin-style tin, even though it's a flake. Um, part of that has to do with, you know, uh, in Europe and in America, the regulations that Tobacco companies end up finding it easier to keep everything, uh, you know, with up to date with the warning labels and all that when they have one style of tin. Uh, yeah. Also, you have to hand pack uh, small flake tins and you can use a machine to pack coin tins. So that's something that I don't know if everybody out there knows or not. But... I realized that, like, okay, so at a certain point, I'm going to realize that everything in my cellar that's square is from before a certain date, and everything in my cellar that's round is from after a certain date. Then I thought about it, and all the stuff that I have in my cellar that's square, well, if I want to smoke for 20 more years, I can only smoke two or three tins a year. You know what I mean? And this is my favorite tobacco. So I thought about it, and I was like, you know, I, I thought, oh, I have a ton of that stuff in the cellar. But when I really counted it and when I really did the math and when I really figured about, like, okay, it's my favorite blend, so I probably want to smoke more than one or two tins a year, I realized that I don't have nearly enough. And I have tons of tobacco in my cellar, as I'm sure all of us do, that I came across. I smoked it. I thought, yeah, this is good. I'll put away a few tins. And then now I'm kind of like, well, it is good, and maybe I open one of those tins down the road and it's really good. But at that point, I don't have backups to keep smoking. It's gone. And if I want to sell her it again, I'm starting at square one. You know what I mean? So why would you want to have one or two tins that are 10 years old? Because best case scenario, you love them and you can't, you can't smoke them again for another 10 years. Or worst case scenario, you're not that crazy about it and all the age didn't do much to help it. So it's a little more – it's a little safer to sell her stuff that you know is good and put away enough of it so that you can have one or two tins to try at every benchmark, you know, two years, five years, 10 years. And then you say, okay, it's really good at 10 years. Good thing I have several dozen tins that I can keep smoking that are that old.
0: Now going back when you, when you first try a blend and you like it, you're now able to imagine kind of what it's going to taste like with a couple of years on it.
2: Yeah, I I, I think that I've been fortunate enough um, to to sample a lot of aged tobacco, a lot of tobacco that has been aged longer than I've been smoking a pipe. And uh, once you try a bunch of different stuff, it's a little easier to say, okay, so, you know, X blend that is made of Red Virginia and Perique and is cut this way and is flavored with this, I've been able to try that at 5 and 10 years old. So something similar on paper, you can at least imagine what it's going to be like and how it's going to hold up. Um, so you never know for sure, but that's why I think it's best to say, okay, I really like this tobacco, and that's that's another thing. I'm going to take a, a quick pause To relay one more piece of information that I wish I would have considered earlier in my cellaring, and that is that there's a primary difference, there's a big difference between um, cellaring because you love a blend and you want to smoke it forever and it may go away at some point, and cellaring because you think it's going to taste better with age.
0: Right. Right.
2: So, you know, having having enough Capstan Blue or Escudo, you know, I know that it's going to taste good because I've been fortunate enough to try Capstan and Escudo at various vintages. However, for me, it's more important that, like, I have enough of a supply because it's one of my everyday smokes. So there are blends that I think, oh, man, this is really good, but it's going to be fantastic with some age. Uh, like Orlick Golden Sliced is one of those. Like, I do smoke it fresh every once in a while, but it is really a fantastic tobacco when it hits the seven and 10 year mark. So that I buy five tins a year or so, right? Like I'm just making this up and four of them will go into my cellar and sit there for 10 years. And one of them, I'll just go ahead and smoke.
0: Yeah. And and I kind of ran into the same with a similar thing where I found that some of my blends that I had, uh, stockpiled, I had overaged them and they lost some of that kind of punch that I like, and it had gotten a little too mild for me. Yeah. Um, so I so that so then I said, "Aha! Wait a second. I've got some age stuff that people would really like to buy <laughs> or <laughs> trade off at a pipe show." Sure. And I took some of those tins of. One of them was a Scudo that was about eight years old when I smoked. When I smoked it and said it had gone too mild for me, I got rid of those tins and essentially was able to buy four and a half new tins for each one. And oh, sure. started the process again. Uh, let's take sure. let's take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more. And I and I want to make sure and ask you about bulk tobaccos and Englishes and aromatics. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute.
1: Merry Christmas!
3: What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic Cashmere, the sultry Licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino Red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Shane's got my mouth watering now thinking of some of the tobaccos that I've tried. And, and, you know, I've had some stuff that, The my my worst nightmare, Shane, is I've got some tobaccos that I got two or three tins of six, eight, 10, 12 years ago. And I open them up and they're absolutely wonderful and I can never find them again.
2: Yep. That that is a that is a huge problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, is there for those that are just getting started cellaring? Is there a minimum time? and maybe it's per style of tobacco that you suggest they just let them sit on or let them sit and age.
2: You know, I mean I think I think most people would agree and in my experience this has been true as well that for Virginia tobaccos you're going to see a huge change at 5 years, a huge change at 10 years and I think it will continue to be really smokable, really enjoyable probably for a few decades before you notice like any sort of degradation when it comes to um like a burley tobacco i also think that burley has longer legs than people have typically uh uh, given it credit for i mean i've smoked like 20 year old edgeworth and it was really good i mean it was amazing it still had like a punch to it uh it was complex it wasn't dull at all and i was really surprised about that i think that burley takes longer to really benefit from aging than maybe at Virginia does. Uh, but let's, I, I would like to start killing the rumor or the myth that uh, Burley doesn't age well.
0: Well, you're, uh, when, well, you're also smoking the, the Burley and the Virginian really small girly kind of pipes too.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you get a lot of flavor. It's like a small ring gauge cigar.
0: <laughs> okay. I just wanted to put that out there.
2: <laughs> so when it comes to Latakia, I, I do think that, Um, A Latakia blend can be really, really excellent from two to five years. Uh, It it develops, it it softens just a touch. Um, And in my experience, especially with Cyprian Latakia, um, a little more of the nuance and a little more complexity from the other components tend to shine through with a little bit of age on it. But once you hit the 10, 15, 20-year mark, Latakia blends can be a little uninteresting and a little
0: flat. Yeah. Uh, well, Latakia Buns can be uninteresting to me right away. Uh, sure, sure. All it has to do is say Latakia in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let, let's talk about, because we've talked about tin tobaccos a lot. What do you do? You know, bulk tobaccos are obviously, first of all, it's a it, bulk tobaccos are purely an American thing now because we're the last ones that have them. Um, yeah
1: yeah
0: how do you store them, and you know how do you yeah you know, just run us through what you're doing with them
2: uh so when I buy bulk tobaccos um i I am a strict like mason jar person uh i don't I don't do anything else except for like ball brand mason jars mm-hmm. and uh I have a couple of different sizes you know if I'm buying in bulk, like uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but the last example was probably. Before McBaron's Burley London was discontinued, I was buying it by the pound, and uh, <laughs> I was putting pounds of it into large, you know, I guess it's a half gallon. Mason jars, like a whole pound will fit in there Um, because those are tobaccos that I wasn't necessarily interested in, like experimenting, you know, trying it at five years and six years and seven years. I just wanted to have a handful of pounds on hand so that I could smoke it. Um, What I try to do for something like, I don't know, Sutliff uh, 507C Virginia slices is that I will buy maybe a pound at a time, maybe 24 ounces at a time, and I'll split that between three or four, um, I guess, uh, what would that be? half pint jars. No, not half pint jars, maybe full pint jars. I can't remember the sizes, but, um, I put everything into jars and, uh, in my experience, um, jars will keep Mason jars specifically will keep tobacco, uh, in, in fine condition indefinitely. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could come back three, four decades from now and smoke some of the tobacco that I have jarred up in my closet and it would be wonderful. Um, I don't really worry about the seal failing. I mean, I make sure that they're clear when I seal them up that uh, I don't have any debris on the rim or anything like that. And right. uh, I think the one major area when it comes to jars that you and I would disagree with uh, with would be that I leave extra air in the jars. I don't compress my tobacco all the way down. I don't try to cram eight ounces into a small <laughs> half pint jar. Uh, I leave a little bit of air in there because air is a good thing when it comes to aging tobacco, in my opinion.
0: Now, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes yes, I do try to. Sometimes I've tried to park a Cadillac in a doghouse. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, and and I've I've learned, and I'm glad you brought it up because I've learned there's two different ways to pack a. A jar. I mean, first of all, yeah. I don't. I don't boil anything, or you know. No, no, no. I, no, no, I
2: don't. That is said,
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't wash it with antibacterial soap, and then uh, and then steam it in a hot tub, you know, in a sauna for a hundred hours, and do all that stuff. I just buy the jars off the shelf at Walmart, bring them home, and start shoving tobacco in there. Uh, let me
2: let me let me pause you for one second, because I think it's important that we note. Uh, so if you buy the jars off the shelf and they're sealed up, um, they come from the factory food safe ready. And actually, if you try to wash them yourself and disinfect them yourself, you're you're risking adding contaminants more than you are risking there being contaminants in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. So and... you take a jar from the factory and you try to wash it, you're you're adding all kinds of stuff that wasn't there. It was sterile already.
0: <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it, but your tap water is dirtier than the, uh, than the factory where the jar was made.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, And I, and I also don't boil the jars to seal them either. I just, you know, hand clamp them as tight as possible. The one thing that I do like to do is put the jars in a window that's going to get a full day of sunshine. And that kind of warms the air inside and pops the top sometimes And then I go back and hand tighten them again and I'll notice that they've moved a little bit. But, I mean, that's all I do. Uh, Oh, sure. But there is definitely two different style or two different ways to pack jars for different results. Um, One, I have some bulk HH old dark fired ready rub that I have jammed probably a pound and a quarter into a pint jar. I mean, it... It's t- it's packed so tight that the tobacco was screaming as I was shoving the last little bits onto it, mm-hmm. and I did that because I like the tobacco the way it is. I didn't. I wanted to put it in a in suspended animation.
2: Yes, yeah. a frozen state.
0: Yeah, leave it just the way it is. It was fine for me. I didn't want it to age too much. But at the same time, I got lucky and found some, uh, McClellan bulk Virginia Perique, which whichever number it is this week, uh, you know, 2015, I can't, I can never remember the numbers. Um, but I got some of that and I wanted it to age. So I just loosely filled the jars to the top yeah. and then put the lid on, um, now, the, in the, and this is a question really for you, when you're talking about your McBaron-Burley blend, you know, Burley-London, uh, are you... I try to pick out the jar that I know that, you know, that except for the, the HH old dark-fired, ready-rubbed, um, I try to pick out a jar that I know that I'm going to open that jar and smoke that tobacco all the way through within a couple of months of opening it. Yeah, Uh, I mean, is that the same thing you do? So you, you got, if you got like a pound of McBaron Burley London blend, you're going to, you're going to, the minute you open that jar, you're going to try to smoke through that jar completely.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, which is why I tend to try to fill jars with like about four ounces or so. Um, you know, like if you got a ribbon or something like that, four ounces is going to fit into one of the medium sized, Uh, I guess it's a pint or or so or so. And then if you've got flake, the small half pint jars, you know, 50 grams to 100 grams is going to fit into those. Um, So it depends what I'm doing. But long term, most of my jars are no bigger than four to eight ounces because I don't I don't want to commit to smoking a pound of something all at once.
0: And But then if you also, if you open something and you smoke it for a week and you've only smoked half the jar and you close it back up again, you just close it as tight as you can and it should be fine. it'll It'll probably have a little less moisture than before.
2: Oh, I don't even think, I mean, unless you've left the jar open overnight, I mean, you could open a jar over and over and over again and i don't i don't think your your tobacco is going to end up super dissimilar as the same blend in a different jar that hasn't been opened once like that that's been my experience because there's about the same amount of air in there whether you're opening it over and over again or not i mean a lot of people would disagree and say that like the anaerobic fermentation or whatever it is resets every time you open the lid and that may be true but i've tried this a bunch of times i've done a few different things one is Take eight ounces of tobacco, put four ounces of it into one jar, four ounces of it into another jar. Smoke a few bowls every couple months from the one jar for two or three years and leave the other jar alone and then compare them a couple years down the road. And there's not a discernible difference that I can taste. Um, The other thing is like take a blend and uh, it's better if it's a blend that comes in 50 grams and 100 grams. So like Orlick Golden Sliced used to come in the small square. Uh, 50-gram tins and also, you know, in 100 grams, it would be like the larger, deeper, you know, round-style tin. And if you buy two that were produced at about the same time and then you buy another tin and dump it into a jar and don't do anything to, like, vacuum seal the jar, let all of those age the same amount of time. And I can guarantee you that once you open all of them, the 50-gram tin will be the brightest in color. The 100-gram tin, because it has more air in it, will be the second- brightest or I guess uh, the second stage of dark and then the jar itself is going to be a lot darker dramatically darker than the 50 gram tin that didn't have any air in it really
0: yeah I've I've done I love doing that when you open up an old tin and you see how bright the color is inside of it and, but then you leave it you leave it open you know, you go in and out of it for a couple of days and then it just darkens right up it's oh yeah all of a sudden it's chestnut yeah yeah. Now, do you do you write down blending, you know, tasting notes on these things and put little note cards or post-it notes or little happy face stickies on them?
2: Um, you know, I do have notes that I keep. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to where I can go back to tobacco reviews or look at the website on the blog and, and see what I've what I've reviewed or said about a blend. Um, but there's a handful of stuff, like I said, probably my top 10 or so. Uh, that I'm so familiar with that I don't need to have notes. Uh, And then there's a bunch of other stuff that I have smoked, put a few away, and uh, made notes along the way to see kind of how it is changing.
0: All right. Finally, what do you suggest people do for aromatics?
2: Well, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with aromatics in terms of smoking them at various ages. I have smoked a few old tins, uh, aromatic mixtures that had been aged, and I do think that they changed. I don't think they changed dramatically. So I think if you're an aromatic smoker, you can, you can stock up and sell her away. But I don't know that you're going to see a dramatic difference. Uh, but like I said, one of the most important things about having a seller is uh, you have a supply. You have enough for yourself and enough to share.
0: Like that's that's the main goal. Yeah, and, and again, I would you know, I've suggested to some of my friends that are yeah, you know, tobacco's never gonna be cheaper than it is now and it's never gonna be more readily available. I've only been saying that for let's see, this is the end of two thousand seventeen. I think the first time I said that was uh October two thousand
1: one. Yeah, no, uh, it's
0: true though. And 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 gosh darn it, I ain't lying to y'all either, dummies. Um <laughs> but if you Yeah, I would think that I I have one friend in Houston that loves smoking BCA straight, and that's what he likes, and I always tease him about he's just smoking bubble gum. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But I keep telling him, I mean, first of all, if you're buying in in bulk and you buy it in a full five-pound bag, you could put that five-pound bag of BCA in the bottom of your closet and leave it there for five years, and nothing's going to change in it. Nothing's going to happen to it. Sure, sure. You know, those factory bags were really thick. But if you're worried about, you know, storing for longer term because tobacco is never going to be cheaper than it is now and it's never going to be more readily available, uh, you know, you could do what Shane and I did with the the big jars and literally jam-pack them full into the big jars and just check the lids every six months to make sure that they're tight and that stuff should stay. It's not... I don't think it's going to benefit from any aging, but again, you're just kind of suspending the animation on it and, you know, buying your 10 years from now, you'll be smoking 2017 priced stuff. And I guarantee you, it'll be a lot, <laughs> the prices are going to go up in the next 10 years. Oh, sure. Sure. So let me ask you, has there been any blends that you've recently just tried for the first time that have kind of stuck out at you? Anything lesser known that you might want to point out as something good to age or, you know, something that people might want to jump on now?
2: Uh, something that's been really interesting to me lately is, um, another, another blend by Jeremy Reeves, uh, Cornell and Deal. Uh, there's a series of tobaccos produced by Cornell and Deal called The Old Ones. And, uh, anybody who's at all familiar with, um, uh, Lovecraft will, uh, will recognize the reference, uh, there's a flake called Mad Fiddler. Mad Fiddler Flake. Uh, it's a Virginia. <laughs> it has a little bit, a little bit of Pareek in it, and it has uh, a particular variety of cigar leaf called Casturi. Now, this this variety of cigar leaf is something that I tried straight uh, a while back when Jeremy Reeves was kind of experimenting with a couple of different uh, blending components, and I thought it was one of the most interesting, complex. Condimental leafs that I've ever tried. And uh, he's blended it into this flake really well, really masterfully. And um, it's really interesting. And I'm definitely going to be putting away a few to see how it changes. It's so rich and it's so complex and like big, these big rich flavors that I think it will hold up to, to aging very well. Uh, it's also pretty good in these colder months that we're starting to get into here. So I'm, I'm working on my, uh, my blog where, uh, I'll, I'll give my rotation of five blends for winter. And, uh, I think mad fit flake is definitely going to definitely going to make the list.
0: All right. So let's talk about doomsday preparations here. um, <laughs> You've got, I mean, could you really survive off of five blends on your desert island?
2: Um, Yeah, I could. It depends if I had enough of them, but I could probably survive (laughs) on less than that if I had
0: to. So have you you done the math and said, all right, this is how much I smoke every day, and this is of these five blends. This is where, you know, proportionally I smoke this one more than that one, blah, 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 and, and started to line them all up like that?
2: Sure, sure. I mean, I've done the math. I've I've tried to be a reasonable, responsible adult. Uh, But when it comes down to (laughs) it, I'm I'm
0: I'm sorry, what did you say?
2: (laughs) I was going to say, I'm I'm buying way more than, you know, the math came out. And I was like, okay. And then I just decided to buy way more than that anyway. So, because like I said, whatever you decide, uh, whatever you decide is your number that you need of any blend – Uh, going forward. So if you decide you need X number of tens of something to last you the rest of your life, well, multiply that by 1.5 so that you have enough to share and trade and, you know, just in case.
0: And so that your dependents have enough to sell to pay for your funeral.
2: Oh, well, yeah, there's that, too. Or, actually, I want to be buried with all my Scottish flakes, so they're not selling anything.
0: <laughs> well, or I get well, cremated. At the open viewing of Shane's—now well, we're getting really morbid. And I was going <laughs> to say,
2: I just want to make sure that my remains and all the tobacco that goes with me burns to a nice— clean gray ash
0: (laughs) that's okay i want to be cremated and sprinkled over disney world or disneyland but i want to make sure they do it when the parks close because i don't want to be seasoning on some kids popcorn
2: oh sure sure
0: yeah and that's more common than than you think in the really oh yeah yeah there's a yeah
2: they let you do
0: that, huh? Oh no, they don't. <laughs> oh, but
2: people do it anyway.
0: Oh yeah, gotcha. and gotcha. Um, yeah, and there's and people smuggle remains in and all kinds of issues with that. Um, oh man! And then they have to shut down parts of the property because that's a biohazard. And anyway, now we've gotten way off of pipe smoking <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Um, so you're so again, you're just you're you're storing your tobaccos in a place that's just climate controlled and you know, out of direct sunlight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I just want, I want them to be affected by the environment as little as possible. I know some people try to like put a tin on their car dashboard and let it bake in the sun or put it in the oven at a low temperature, all that kind of stuff. Um, I just seal it up, make sure that the seals are fine, keep it in a rubber made container in the closet uh, in a climate controlled part of the house.
0: And you don't go in and rotate them or twist them around or shake them up and do all that stuff. Any, you know, like you do, like you have to do with bottles of wine.
2: Um, you know, every now and then
0: I go and check and
2: make sure that I haven't lost any seals. Uh, but that's about it. I certainly don't shake them up. That's a good way to lose a seal. Yeah. Um, I just try to make sure because, like, I have had it happen to me where, like, especially the old style small rectangular flake tins, I go to my cellar and I'm just looking through it and I pick up a tin and like gently touch the lid only to find that like the seal just, just gave out right then at that moment. Well, that's the time that you put it into a jar and start smoking it. So no problem. (laughs) But I just try to make sure that I don't have, you know, 10, 15 tins of a blend that are all failing or something like that.
0: Yeah. And again, I'll, I'll take some of those older tins that I've got the, especially the square, the flat square ones, um, I'll take those and I'll put a layer of saran wrap over them and wrap them up with that. And the, and the saran wrap doesn't do anything to protect it against moisture. It just helps hold that lid seal a little better.
2: Sure. I mean, I know some folks use like electrical tape and stuff like that around the edge. Um, I, I have been very fortunate in, in 10 years, I've only had a handful of tins fail on me. Um, and a couple of them are tins that I purchased, from someone else's collection. Uh, so all the stuff that I've had in my cellar that I have been the the first owner of, I haven't really had too many issues. So I don't want, I don't want folks out there to feel like they have to run and go tape up all their tins, but you know, it is, it is a pretty big investment whatever you have to do to make sure that it's safe, do it.
0: And, and keep it away from prying friends that might come over and visit. Um, Uh, we've got about two minutes left. It's the week before Christmas. I know you're busy at work, but do you have any uh, Christmas pipe smoking traditions?
2: Do I have any Christmas pipe smoking traditions? You know, I do, I do the same thing on uh, new year's day on Thanksgiving on, on all that stuff. Uh, I, I do get, I, I pick out an old tin from my cellar and pop it open and share it with whoever's around me. And, uh, if I can if I can time it properly, I use that old tin to break in a new pipe.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Save that new Christmas present pipe for the new for the uh for the vintage tin. It sounds like a uh sounds like a perfect way to celebrate the day.
2: Absolutely. I mean that's kind of the the ultimate you know the ultimate celebration for a pipe smoker, right? It doesn't get any better than ten year old Virginia and a brand new pipe uh on a day off from work
0: a day off from work and well you don't have kids yet so you'll have to (laughs) that'll change the minute you got little ones running under the tree
2: yeah i'll be heading into the office uh to hang out by myself i guess
0: yep you got it there's a whole club of us that you'll join then uh (laughs) shane thanks for thanks for coming back merry christmas happy new year and uh, we'll talk again in january
2: happy holidays everybody
0: we'll be back in just a minute (laughs)
4: I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole-leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes autumn evenings so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. This is Internet Radio.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I mean, when I say we, I mean the royal we, uh, me. Anyway, uh, comments or questions, post them for Shane on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Or you can email him directly, Shane.Ireland at SmokingPipes.com. I'd love to hear your ideas on uh, the of tobaccos as well. All right, so uh, diversity of music again. I mean, this is one of the only uh, things on the Internet where I think you can hear classical music one week, uh, 50s crooners the next week. Last week we had uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, so folk songs. Well, this week we're going back to a tradition that... uh, I kind of got off of for a couple of years, but uh, anyway, we're going to the, uh, uh, we're going back to, Twisted Sister. This is uh, D. Snyder and Twisted Sister doing "I'll Be Home for Christmas." <laughs> That was D. Snyder and Twisted Sister. They did a whole Christmas album. There's some live recordings of it. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or uh, any other place should you also wish to uh, torture all your family on Christmas Day.
4: Mm-hmm. Message from the dark side, there is.
0: Going back a couple weeks ago uh, with uh, Tom Provost on and the Epic Pipe Fails, we got a couple of you that have. Uh, Posted yours or sent them in to me, so we'll go to Lord of the Pipe Rings, and uh, Brad writes, Epic fail number one. I got a Savinelli chocolate pipe in their 626 bent apple shape. It was a 6mm filter pipe. I apparently was able to fit in a 9mm adapter from another pipe into the shank. (laughs) Not for long. Uh, Then he writes, over time, this created a crack in the shank. One day when I was going to clean it, I went to remove the stem and half the shank came with it. Yeah, the the difference between 6mm uh, and 9mm is pretty obvious. It's 3mm. Uh, then he goes on to write, Epic Tobacco Fail. When I first started, I was only into aromatics. I saw a lot of reviews on YouTube and tobacco reviews about this blend called Ennerdale Flake. So I ordered up a tin, and it comes, I crack it open... And I'm knocked back by the scent. Very soapy and very old lady perfume. I shrugged it off and loaded the pipe and lit up the bowl. It was a mere three or four puffs before I threw in the towel and dumped the entire bowl and subsequently the entire tin of tobacco. Easily my worst tobacco experience ever. Um, And remember, if yeah, so we've all had those moments. Uh, But if you have a... uh, if you have tobacco that you just don't like, and you don't have somebody nearby that you want to give it to or try to poison them with, uh, use it in uh, plants and flower beds as a. Uh, it works well as a mulch and works well to help fertilize the uh, the little flowers and plants. And then uh, Steve Davenport writes: uh, Tobacco fails. One Frog Morton bought a tin a few years back. Learned really quick that I'd rather eat barbecue than taste it in a pipe. <laughs> and for a long while after. Uh and then two, Drew Estates meat pie. Was given a sample by a tobacconist I frequent. Couldn't bring myself to try it. Maybe it doesn't taste like creosote when you smoke it, but darn sure smells like it. <laughs> um the, the only the only thing I'll say to that is um you know, yeah, if you uh if if the tobacco smells bad to you, odds are it's gonna taste bad but give it a try, because the tobacco smell and the tobacco taste, you know what? They don't always go hand in hand. Uh, and one last one we'll get caught up on the next week. Um, uh, Darth Pipe writes, and this is four days ago, I'm a recent member to the pipe smoking community. For the first five months I smoked a pipe and was hot boxing it like a cigarette and wondering why my Georgia peach blend tasted like burnt rhino ass. Uh, Let me just say here, I'm not sure exactly how burnt rhino ass tastes, but I get the picture. Uh, Then he goes on to write, But I have recently discovered the YouTube videos and podcasts from the pipe community that have guided me in this journey. I found the Pipes Magazine radio show about a month ago and have truly enjoyed it. The interviews are fun and entertaining. Pipe Parts is very educational, especially for the not-so-smart guy like me. And any show that starts off with Crazy Train gets a huge three, three thumbs up from me. Uh, then I found out that Brian was a Disney nerd like me. I love hearing of the areas that he smoked his pipe in Walt Disney World and look forward to trying these places out. My favorite so far is Beach Club Resort near Stormalong Bay. It's close to the bar and has a great view of the water. The show also pointed me towards the forums that have already pointed me in the right direction with new tobacco suggestions, and it has shown me the open-armed community of the pipe smoker. Keep up the great work, Kyle. Kyle, you are welcome. We sure will uh, keep going as long as we can, and uh, next month in uh, January, when I'm at Disney World, I may uh, duck back to uh, Stormalong Bay and check out your smoking area, because that's... um, one of the few things that i don't think of doing is uh going outside the parks as often and sitting at the hotels anyway there you go uh again my schedule is going to get kind of crazy over the next couple of weeks and uh because of uh let me say that again because of the uh because of construction of a new computer And I will be traveling to Manchester, England on uh, January 2nd. We will uh, have a couple of, uh, a whole bunch of advanced recorded shows for you, but guaranteed there will be a new show put out every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for you to enjoy. And, uh, hey, if you miss them, you know, during the chaos of the holidays, go back and get caught up. They're all there sitting there waiting for you. The entire library of uh, 275 or so shows is sitting there waiting for you. All right. Rant time is next. Cowboy.
1: Cowboy.
0: my world, which I am the uh, legend in my own mind, and I am the leading expert on my own opinion, and this is what I think, so here you go. Uh, Christmas decorations should be either tastefully done or not done at all. Got it? You either do them very nice, or you don't do them at all. And the example that I'll give you of shouldn't be done at all was at McAllister's Deli yesterday. I was out running some errands, stopped in for a sandwich, and their idea of Christmas decorations was some very big red bows tied to their very big globe lamps. Now, (laughs) that was it. They uh, They took some red ribbons and tied them onto these lamps, And that was it. So now what they did was they casted a shadow in the restaurant because they were covering up part of the lights. And the other thing that they did was that made you notice that, um, you know, the ribbons are nice and clean, but the lamps really aren't. Now, these are unlit, regular old big red ribbons that you can buy and you can tie them onto the tree and, you know, just felt red ribbons that you buy at a little decorator store for, I don't know, three, four bucks a piece. And they bought about 20 of them and they literally just tied them up to the top of these big globe lamps that were hanging in their restaurant. That was it for Christmas decorations. Now, they would have done better, in my opinion, had they just put a small, nicely decorated Christmas tree in the corner and put Christmas music on and said, to heck with it. Or maybe, you know what, if you're not going to give much of an effort... Don't give any effort at all, all right? Just ignore it. Put the Christmas music on and serve your Christmas uh, spice lattes or whatever else you were trying to sell for the holidays and call that a wrap. All right, there you go. You've now spent another hour listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, Remember, new shows every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. iTunes reviews and ratings would be wonderful. Same on Stitcher or PodKicker or wherever else you can. Comments or questions, email me brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. Next show will be the day after Christmas, so we would like to take this moment to say a very big uh, heartfelt Merry Christmas, a uh, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, whatever else you celebrate from me, Kevin, the uh, moderators at pipesmagazine.com wish you all the best this holiday season and thanks to Shane for joining me again. Until next time.
1: Happy to you, he's fighting who cares about the clouds when we're together, just ah. sing a song and think about sunny weather, happy train. Bum, bum, bum. Again. Why,
0: I'm so full of cheer, I could poop through a keyhole.